0: Hello, my name is Joe Hogan. Many of you know me as epic grays in various video games and social media. Welcome to episode 166 of Geektitude, a geek culture podcast that celebrates the inner geek in all of us. I am once again joined by my co-host, Ray. How's it going, Ray? I'm doing good, Joe. How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. I think there is one question on everybody's mind. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. How is the glasses situation
1: going? (laughs) i've heard from a few people actually (laughs) um it's 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 an interesting uh journey um my eyes are so happy (laughs) um it's amazing how happy my eyes are actually when i actually use my glasses the way i'm supposed to uh so much so that they complain when i'm not so (laughs) i'm like oh right my glasses um so i i just got um my first box of Warby Parker frames to try on. Mm -hmm. Uh, They came yesterday. I got five frames to try on and and see how I like them. Uh, So that part of the journey is still continuing. But as far as this prescription and being a glasses wearer, um, I'm starting to, I feel like I'm, I'm starting to be hazed into the club. You know, uh, <laughs> last night, and we're gonna talk about this when we get into weekly geekery in a minute. But I was watching Old Guard last night uh, in mm-hmm. bed as I fell asleep, just kind of checking it out. And I'm like, oh, I can't like lean on my pillow like with glasses. It kind of it feels it's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> it feels yeah. a little awkward. I have to kind of prop my head up or just decide to watch without glasses. Huh? Like, okay. (laughs) So like little things like that, that I'm going, Oh, I've heard people talk about this before. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, I'm definitely glad that I got a prescription. Um, and I'm getting some nice compliments about, you know, how glasses look on my face from, from friends that I trust. But, um, yeah, the, the journey does continue for finding a pair that, that I like and that fits me. This is the part that I'm really used to, to be honest with you. I mean, I go through this with shoes, with, you know, anything. So, um, yeah, I I've, I ordered a pair um, from this, the, the, this online service um, and they have my prescription. I, I looked at the sizing online, really excited about getting those. And so the whole Warby Parker thing is just to like, see this, see what they offer. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. just kind of really explore my options for maybe a backup pair. Some people that I've talked to have like three or four pairs, you know, that they kind of like use to accessorize or, or or depending on whatever outfit they're wearing, I'm like, Ooh, I like that idea.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I have, I have two pair. I have my pair that I wear every day. That's a little bit more, um, you know, it can take a little bit more of a beating and, um, you know, it even has some teeth marks from when Ollie got them. <laughs> and uh and then I have a a pair that's extremely light. And the saleswoman was like, If you are rough on your glasses, you do not want these frames. And I'm like, but I really want those frames. And so ah. I, I wear those like when I'm dressing up or going out. Those are not an everyday pair because I, I'm not I'm not
1: light on my glasses and I will wear yeah. I'm wondering about that, to be honest with you, Joe. Uh, I'm wondering how you know <laughs> how long this this pair that I'm kind of using it until until I get you know the the ones that I ordered. I'm wondering like how how long are they going to last? I'm trying to be careful with them. I'm sure most first time you know glass glasses owners can can relate to that. I'm it's a new thing in my life. Right. right. Like I walk into a room and I start to do something and I'm like, oh shit. And I have to go and walk back to the other room to get my glasses. <laughs> it's not a normal thing yet that I pick up and just carry with me everywhere. Right. So I'm being very careful with them. But it was when I first got an iPad. I was super careful with it. And now it's just kind of like, okay, you know, it can take a little bit of a beating.
0: <laughs> well, good luck on your journey. It sounds like you are
1: progressing well. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I feel very welcomed by the community. <laughs> <laughs> So what's up, man?
0: Uh, well, we both have the same weekly geekery. I have, like, honestly, I've been playing World of Warcraft. That's That's been what I've done. I, like, I haven't had this much time to play WoW in so long, and I'm doing all this end game stuff that I haven't done in ever. And so for me, it's kind of like, I forgot how grindy it is, and how it's mm. like, okay, I get to do my five sets of dailies today. Mm. <laughs> um but it's fun, and I'm I'm starting to get to the point where I can kind of just no brain it and and go through this stuff. But but it is kind of nice to feel like I'm on the 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 far end of the curve as opposed to behind everything.
1: Not not that we don't already always have a lot to talk about, but um, I'm curious as someone who's never played World of Warcraft, um, what is the what is the end gamey stuff look like like? because I know you, you described it before as kind of this world that you can explore and, and exist in and play in and you can either do the game like as quick as you want to or you can sort of like, you know, meander and, and explore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but there is a there is a path, correct? Like there there is a beginning, middle and end. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I and- mean, like w- when a new when a new expansion releases the the idea is you level up through the different zones and when you hit max level there's always some sort of, well, there's world quests, which means you go around and just find quests out in the world and then there's raiding. and I haven't raided in a long time. I'm, I'm considering raiding this coming week just to get some better gear, but mm. that's just basically you go into, um, an area with a bunch of people and you're kind of locked into that area and, um, and you have to work together to bring down
1: the bosses. Like, it, like, there's no way you can do it by yourself. Like some of them take 20 people to take down. You know, it would be funny if we ever had the time uh, for next year's quarantine, Joe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we should plan similar to that podcast we covered last, last week, newcomers.
0: Mm-hmm. If
1: I were to start World of Warcraft with you and you would oh walk through it. my God, it, it, was it so much fun. <laughs> and we it's would do so like, a new, like a newcomers, a World of Warcraft uh, version of newcomers together.
0: Oh, that would be great! I would have so much fun. Like, I would, my only concern would that be that you would get frustrated? But that would be the only thing that I would be concerned.
1: By. I would, I would be more. I have to admit, I would be more um, likely to be frustrated if it was just me by myself playing this game and just not understanding, you know. But hangout sesh with my friend, with my good buddy. No, I think I think that's why you're there. You know, you're the sage. You're- <laughs> You're there to help me.
0: <laughs> All right, next summer when when we're both kind of ready to go, I am I am
1: going to keep that in mind. Okay, and and you you know feel free because so oh this is another thing. God, we just never run out of things to talk about, do we, Joe? <laughs> um, I recently my Blu-ray player in my bedroom, which is also how I would access apps like Netflix mm-hmm. and and Amazon Prime and so on, mm-hmm. took a crap. Oh, no. So that happened. And and the television that I have in my bedroom is old enough. It's a flat screen, but it's old enough that it didn't come with its own apps. Right? Right. Uh, the one in my living room, which is larger, has its own apps on there. And it's a little bit frustrating because you can't really download new ones. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I have Netflix on there. I have Amazon Prime. I have Hulu. So, you know, it, it more or less gets the job done doesn't have disney plus so looking at my options for my bedroom i said okay i need to get something where you know i can i can watch these uh, use these different streaming services is it worth it at this point to get a blu-ray player like when was the last time that i actually opened a dvd
0: <laughs> we we don't have one anymore like if we really need to to watch dvds um i have to take my laptop which Because it's an older gaming laptop, still has a CD drive. Oh, right. You know, a DVD drive. So um so that's the only way we can watch DVDs at this point. And we've got loads of them. And I'm trying to figure out what to do with them because at this point, (laughs) if I if it's something I really like, I've probably already downloaded it on Amazon Prime.
1: Got it, got it. So that's my thing too, right? I love my Blu-rays. I have a lot of them, and I love them because of the quality. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it really bothers me when i'm watching something streaming and it gets pixelated Mm -hmm. if it's a show or whatever that doesn't really bother me i'll just deal with it until the you know wi-fi you know catches up but if it's a movie especially a movie that i love i don't i want to i want to appreciate all of it you know the cinematography the lighting all of it so that's why i have blu-rays but that being said i haven't cracked open a blu-ray in a long time (laughs) So I'm really at this point, which I'm sure a lot of people probably have already passed this point, but I'm like, do I need, do I get rid of my Blu-rays? Like, what do I do? Because I haven't used it. So I'm kind of taking that approach that I've heard people take with articles of clothing in their closet. If you don't wear it for a year, get rid of it. Right, right. You know, if it's just not something you're putting on, even if you love it, if you go a year, a full, you know, rotation of seasons without wearing that thing, just chuck it. So I decided. I looked at my options. I was overwhelmed by my options. Of course, we do the research thing that we covered last week. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I realized, okay, I could get a Blu-ray player that has apps on it, and and the the downside to that is, again, the apps are limited. Currently on the market, there are no Blu-ray players that have Disney Plus app on it. Right. That that contract and that service just doesn't exist. So I'm like, great. Before I had to hook up my iPad to my television to watch Disney Plus, which meant I hardly ever watched Disney Plus, uh, and the iPad would, you know, malfunction sometimes. Right. I would still have to do that if I got a Blu-ray player. So I said, okay, that's a huge downside for that option. The next option was to bypass the Blu-rays, just let go of that. <laughs> which, you know, for someone who grew up in the '90s, is like I'm just like, oh my god, that's a that's a big step. That mm-hmm. that, felt, that felt like cutting my cable cord, you know, ten years ago. But um, if I did that, I would go with like a Roku or an Amazon Cube or Apple TV,
0: mm-hmm. right? Oh, we love our Apple TV.
1: Okay, so that's that was another tier or option. No Blu-rays playing. But you have these apps and you can download new apps and you can rent movies. You can do all that stuff. So right away, even though I love my Apple products, I was like, I never use iTunes for anything. So I I don't want to have to switch over to that when I'm already using other things. Mm -hmm. Um, Amazon, when it comes to Amazon, to be honest with you, ethically, I'm not a big fan of Amazon anymore. Uh, Uh I I do have an Amazon Prime membership that I prepay for the entire year. So I'm like, okay, it's paid. I'm going to use it since, while it's paid. But once that expires, I'm not going to renew, right? Mm-hmm. And I generally don't rent movies on Amazon. Uh, and then the third option was Roku. Mm-hmm. Now, I've only used Rokus up to this point uh, when, I, when I travel for work and I'm in an Airbnb. There's usually a Roku there. I like it. It seems like a simple interface. I actually purchased one for my mom last Christmas and she loved, like it changed her whole world, Joe. I think I ushered her into a new era. She loves her Roku. And that seems to be the most popular option on the market uh, from what I, from my research showed me. And it's also super affordable. (laughs) Like a Roku stick which is kind of like the middle ground between all of the options. You can get the cube, you can get the box, you can get the, you know, the little tiny stick, you can get the, so I got the, like the stick plus it was like 40 bucks. That's it's like, not bad. No, it's like $35 and it comes with all the apps and you can download new apps. So, and it just plugs into the back of your TV. So there's not even anything on your shelf, like in front of your TV. So I said, okay, this seems cost effective to try out. If I'm going to let go of Blu-rays or I'm going to try to let go of Blu-rays, I can spend 35 bucks and give that a shot and see, is is there a point in the next year where I miss my Blu-rays, where I want to play a Blu-ray and I can't? Then it's a problem to address. Of course, the top tier that I looked at was gaming consoles.
0: That's exactly I mean it's like <laughs> I know that I know that our listeners are sitting there going, just buy this.
1: <laughs> so that was the top tier. Holy shit, Joe. There is so much to yeah. learn out there <laughs> and so much to consider. Oh my god, Xbox versus PlayStation is a huge that's like Marvel versus DC. It really is. This is I I'm unaware. <laughs> I was unaware. I did a ton of reading. It was uh, very interesting to dive into that sort of, I don't want to call it a divide, but, you know, uh, that preference among gamers. Mm -hmm. All right, all right. (laughs) Listeners, you're going to have to weigh in on what you need to let Ray know, which
0: is the superior console, and you can't say both.
1: (laughs) Yes, please. I I tried to, because I read a bunch, and I just, the more information that I took in, just the, the bigger the, the, the choice became. And so I reached out to, to people that I trust that I know are gamers, uh, mostly family members, because I've been around them and I've watched them play games. You know, I know you're a big gamer, Joe, but I haven't really like, been around you or watched you play a game right right well and i'm not a console player i'm all on my pc oh, okay. so See? yeah that's a whole other thing that i didn't even <laughs> was even aware of <laughs> so i reached out to former roommates and and cousins basically people that i that i've been around and played video games seen, seen play video games and um that didn't help <laughs> they're, very, <laughs> they're very dedicated to their choice it is a, it is a, it's a life decision. (laughs) It's a life choice. Um, it's a lifestyle choice for sure. So, so from what I gathered, apologies if I offend anyone, this is, I'm, I'm new to this. I'm learning. Uh, you know, it is definitely my ignorance speaking. If, if I, if I say, you know, a faux pas or something, um, if I commit a faux pas, um, from what I kind of gleaned from, from my, um, gleaned gleaned from my research uh so the xbox users love how much it does Mm -hmm. and it seems like the playstation users are more concerned with convenience and and just sort of it just works that was the general sort of uh tenor of the conversations that i saw online i'm a person who's uh I am a Mac person. I'm an Apple person. I'm not a PC person. I, I just wanted to do the thing that I wanted to do. I'll pay extra. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely realize that game consoles are awesome because they do everything. Right. Like you can stream Spotify, you can watch movies, you can rent movies, you can go on Netflix and, you know, Amazon and anything. And you can also obviously pay video games, which is like, that's, <laughs> it's like your phone at this point. It's like the phone call is the least important part. Or, you know, that there's so many other things that it does for me anyway, as a non-gamer, the, the gaming option would be the least important option for me. Um, but it would also give me an opportunity to play video games, something that yeah. I hardly ever do. And I would get to try that out. But I didn't realize that some games are only available on some platforms. Right. Holy crap. Like, (laughs) can you imagine, can you imagine if... You could only watch Marvel or DC movies, or you could only you know what I mean. Like that's you could only cr- read you could only read Marvel or DC comics. That's cr- unle- you know unless you bought two different. Th- that's crazy to me. I mean, I guess streaming services are ca- streaming services are kind of falling along those lines. With like you know, are you going to be an HBO Max slash Warner Brothers DC person? Are you going to be a Disney Plus slash you know MCU person? But those are like ten bucks a month right this is a console that's like 400 bucks yeah so and the new ones the the new ones are coming oh i read all about the new ones joe (laughs) i read read all about the incoming you know ps5 and and uh i think it's called xbox x um these are the new versions of the consoles that are going to be hitting the market this christmas and people are anticipating and there's like like there's like um spoilery like articles online there's like somebody somebody found an image of one of them this is what we think it's gonna look like and oh man um so yeah it's a lot it's been a lot um I I will say this I I was leaning towards PlayStation Mm -hmm. uh because really honestly to my Xbox friends like detriment like they were so upset (laughs) 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 they were so disappointed in me um but but I was leaning towards PlayStation because, um, it just seemed like the interface would be more friendly to someone like me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, they do all, I mean, they're great. You can't go wrong really. But, you know, in terms of playing a a Blu-ray, um, streaming movies, you know, all that stuff, you can't go wrong with either. So then it came down to, okay, um, if I was going to play a video game, what would I want to play? And I did some research. I'm not a gamer. Let me repeat. Uh (laughs) I am not. I'm not saying I hardly ever play games. I'm not saying I dabble. I do not play video games. I have not held a, uh, what's it called? A controller? Uh Uh-huh. I have not held a controller. I'm 41 years old. I have not held a controller since my 20s. Yeah. Okay. Held a controller. Okay. (laughs) I don't, I I can't even remember what game, what I, oh, you know what the last game I played was, um, it was a Batman game that also gives you an idea what kind of games I like to play, right? It was, it was a Batman game that was based on the look of the animated series.
0: Mm, I, I remember that.
1: And, and it opened with this little like short mini game movie. Of of Batman trying to defuse a bomb before it went off, and it it looked like the Bruce Tim, you know, Paul Dini cartoon. Yeah, that was the last video game that I played, I believe. So, (laughs) uh, I looked at PlayStation and I thought, well, if I'm gonna play a game, it's probably gonna be the new Spider-Man game that I've heard so much about, and it's only available on PlayStation. I could see myself wanting to be Spider-Man, you know, in video game form, and just kind of like. Learning how to, you know, swing web swing and learning how to do all that stuff and using the different cool Spider-Man costumes or whatever. Like that's, that's it. Like that, that would get me, you know, that's enough to get me to want to open that game up and and play and explore and then probably get frustrated and and put the controller down.
0: Um, (laughs) Well, and that's the thing. It's like our, our fingers, if you've, if the last thing you used was a Nintendo controller, (laughs) um, you are like, there's so many more buttons. (laughs) <laughs> there's, so, there's so many buttons like, and I never remember what they do. Like I have a, I have a Nintendo switch. It's the only thing I I play. And I, I, I go in bursts while I play it a lot and then I'll put it away for months and then I'll play it a lot and then I'll put it away for months and then I'll take it on vacation and then I'll put it away for months. And there's just so many buttons and there's so many, like there's, there's triggers and there's left and right. And it's, we, we are, we are, we are of that generation that either you stuck with it yeah. <laughs> and you consoled all your way up yeah. or at some point you went over to PC like I did and never
1: returned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I, I heard that shared, I heard similar experiences shared or I read it. anyway, I did a lot of reading on this and I mean, deep dive into the comments I love that shit, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) sometimes the comments are better than the actual little article that's posted, you know, that's where the real geeky conversations are happening. So, you know, I watched YouTube reviews. I mean, I watched gameplay of certain things. Um, uh, This is kind of embarrassing, but I have to admit this as well. Kind of put this off to the end because I I am kind of embarrassed, but it is honest. I'm, I'm being very honest here. Um. At the last minute, I was swayed. I, I if I was gonna buy a game console, I I, I think I was heavily swayed, swayed towards Xbox by one thing: the look of the console. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. A lot of people, the aesthetic is everything.
1: Okay, good. I'm glad. I'm. Gla- <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. That, I don't know if that's true for gamers. Um, but um yeah I gotta look at the PlayStation 5 and I just I don't understand I don't know if anyone knows what this looks like uh even even my avowed PlayStation gamer cousin uh, Abel shout out to Abel um he loves I mean he's only owned PlayStations and he's just like, it looks so shitty, dude. (laughs) Like it looks so bad. Like it just, this like
0: stand up white and black.
1: Yes. Yes. With these weird jutting white plastic sides. Yeah. I can see where that would bother some
0: people. Like I, we have a very modern aesthetic at our house, so it would probably fit pretty well.
1: Right. You also have kind of this, um, what's the, what's the name of this? It's not art nouveau. It's, it's, uh, art deco. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, I could see that actually. Um, You know, I've got cinder blocks in my my living room, you know, aesthetically pleasing cinder blocks. Don't get me wrong, but still my living room is a lot of cinder blocks and wood, stained wood, you know, Mm -hmm. and black. And so that'll just look like this alien piece of like, I don't know, like hardware, like. And I'm like, oh, shit, can I hide that somewhere? Like, (laughs) what you know, I was really hoping that that because 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 from what I've seen from past designs. Xbox seems to be the one that had the more kind of, you know, outlandish sort of look with the green glowing lights and all that stuff. So I just assumed from photos that I had been looking at in articles that the, the big clunky white one was the Xbox. And so I thought, okay, yeah, there's another reason to get PlayStation. It's just a clean black box and then come right. to realize that's the Xbox I'm like oh shit so i don't know that's definitely a decision that i'm still weighing um i am going to probably making it be making the decision by this christmas when they come out and i'll know by then you know if i if i want a a way to play my blu-rays and i will have like this new piece of like multimedia you know technology in my home that I've never had before
0: right I think I think you're gonna get comments from listeners that are playing destiny are our destiny contingent which is kind of like a, a you know there's wow people and then there's destiny people they're, they're oh. both MMOs but they're they're um, like there's no there's no competition between the two they're just two completely different things but the people who play them are very very
1: similar in how dedicated they are to the game Right now, and the na- the narrator is going. Ray opens a tab on Destiny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so, so they'll they'll let you know what they're playing on because again, you have the like. I think it's both. I think both systems have it, but mm. I think you can only play with the people that have the same system. So I'm sure you're going to get people saying you have to just buy this because you need to play Destiny with us. Um, there's going to be people who are, I, I think. Do both and we'll we'll give you like a very fair trade off of well, this is why this is good and this is why that is good. Mm. Uh, I think you're gonna get a lot of good feedback from our listeners. So Great. listeners, don't let me down because I just I just <laughs> gave you a I gave you a, a big shout out. So so help help Ray out. Give him give him more information. I will be
1: on Slack when this episode drops for sure. Okay, cool. So yeah, I'm looking at Destiny. The, the art looks amazing. And um I'm trying not to say um so much and like Yeah, we're we're trying. <laughs> we've we've gotten a couple
0: comments. We've been out of practice, so we're gonna try our
1: best, but it does take a little bit of rewiring. Destiny looks great. The artwork looks amazing, and that's obviously something that I'm really drawn to, is just the look of the game itself and the characters and whatnot. I'm yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna read some more on this. <laughs> you know, I dropped I, I got really frustrated with um oh this is gonna be <laughs> I'm like <laughs> slow dating myself. I got really frustrated with Tomb Raider because I kept ending up in the corner and like running towards the corner and uh-huh. not being able to get out of the corner. <laughs> um, and I got terrified by Resident Evil. That's like what the, you're supposed to do. You're supposed to get terrified by Resident Evil, but ter- like in a horror movie, terrified.
0: Yeah, my brother, my brother was playing it when we were on Christmas break one one year, and we were both home at my parents' house, and he came in and he was like, "So you want to watch me play uh uh this game?" And I'm like, "You're scared, aren't you?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, a little bit." <laughs>
1: like, all right, I'll, I'll be right in. It's a scary game. It is such a. I I really do hear gamers when they talk about i mean i work for you know laguna college of art and design we have one of the top game art programs in the country we are partnered with blizzard or at least we work extremely closely with blizzard because they're a few miles away from our campus most of our teachers a lot of our teachers in the game art program are artists at blizzard and riot and obsidian and and rockstar and other places and then they come in and teach at our school so our game art program is Extremely connected to this industry, our game artists are amazing, extremely talented. We we've graduated a bunch of game artists to work and uh, for the industry and make these games. Uh, and and to hear them talk about, I mean, gamers are extremely passionate. I have a ton of respect for what they do, uh, especially game artists and, and game developers when they talk about the The immersive experience of games and and how it it takes the best of comic books and movies and combines them because you're actually in the game. Mm-hmm. I, I really fully believe that and I feel that when they say it. And I can, even though it was a long time ago, and I know that games have progressed a lot since then. When I think back to playing Resident Evil for the first time, I can't remember if it was one or two or whatever. I was terrified, Joe, <laughs> it was a terrifying experience. I couldn't separate myself and this is how I watch movies anyway. So right. games is just, you know, I couldn't separate myself from what was happening on the screen. It was this like weird fight or flight lizard brain response to what I was experiencing and it was pretty amazing. So I know you would think, well, why wouldn't you be a gamer after that? It's just the time you know that you need to devote to 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 develop your your hand eye coordination and and the technical skill set required yeah, i just definitely. didn't i just didn't have the time back then and so i just kind of you know got off of that train uh, i i was fully you know working as a freelance illustrator and just it's a grind and so anyway yeah, this has been quite a diversion, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but we, we could have made a whole podcast episode about this, dude. If I had, we, we may have to do. A, 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 honestly, guys, right
0: now we're we're just catching up with each other because we had such a long yes time off. So a lot of these are just going to be extended weekly decrease but we're trying to bring you know a variety of things into into what we're
1: talking about apologies if this is not your your thing or you know (laughs) you're expecting a different flow to these episodes
0: well and that's the good thing is that this episode might not be some people's thing but like next episode will there there's always we we change we have we have such a diverse
1: interest base that we will always find something for somebody at some point yeah this whole thing that i'm talking about with like shopping for a new streaming device happened weeks ago but i just joe and i haven't talked in so long that we're still catching up with each other yeah
0: yeah (laughs) well why don't we do this because we still have some weekly geekery stuff to go over um why don't we, I'm sorry, I um, I'm tr- we're trying guys, we're trying. <laughs> we're going to go to break and then when we come back, we're going to finish up our weekly geekery and talk about some of the other stuff that we've been looking into or talking about. Good idea. And, yeah, we'll be right back. When toxic culture has you down. When you're just looking to laugh and have fun. Kick back and enjoy watching a video game. Or just make some new friends. It's time to visit the geek to geek Media Network, a community of podcasters, streamers, and bloggers. Yep, and each other in real time, and we can't wait for you to join us. So come check us out at geek2geekmedia.com. And escape toxic fandom for something much more... Keanu? Yes, Keanu. Okay, so a little behind the scenes for all of you. when, <laughs> Whenever we, we cut to break, we actually do take a quick break because our... Uh, Audio has to upload to the server, and we start just kind of chatting about what we've been chatting and how it's going and everything. And then all of a sudden, we're like, "Wait, wait, stop talking! We should be recording."
1: This. <laughs> yep, I was just thinking that. <laughs> so Hamilton, yes. Uh, so I literally, Joe, was just thinking we need to be recording this, and then I thought we have been talking a lot lately. <laughs> About things that we were not expecting to do. Like maybe editing has to be more of a concern where it wasn't before. Although we can just keep cranking out these episodes, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. No, we're just We're just cranking out these episodes. I'm fine with it.
1: Because <laughs> you brought up another thing uh, related to our earlier conversation about letting go of Blu-rays. That reminded me when I moved into this apartment before I had my internet set up, I just watched Blu-rays all the time. That was the only way I could watch something before I had, you know, streaming internet. Now, is that a good reason to hold on to Blu-rays for a year, <laughs> like just in case you move? Probably not. But that was another thing that came to mind. And then we realized, you know, that we should probably talk about Hamilton today, since you—I'm assuming you—you you saw it a long time ago. I, I did see it. I saw it for my 40th birthday. Matt took me out to New
0: York, and we saw—I think four shows. We saw Hamilton. We saw Dear Evan Hansen, which was hilarious because you looked around and the only other men watching Dear Evan Hansen were dads with their kids. Like it wasn't, (laughs) it was definitely a teenage girl show. (laughs) Um, So, Hamilton, Dear Evan Hansen, Once on This Island, which Ray blew my mind. Blew my mind.
1: I remember you sharing about that.
0: Yeah. And then uh come from away, which has made my top five oh, favorite wow. favorite plays. I love I love Hamilton and I know it's Matt's favorite musical. For me, there's just so much there that it's it it's not something I'm gonna listen to on repeat. And so for me, I, I really appreciate it for the artistic work that it is, but it did not make my top five simply because I
1: don't connect to it as as well as I do other things. Mm. Uh, So this is my first time watching it. This is my first time, honestly, with any exposure to Hamilton. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting after hearing so much about it to actually experience it for myself. I work with someone who's a Hamilton fanatic, Jason, Mm -hmm. my buddy Jason, who I've mentioned before on this show. He loves it. He's loved it since day one. He talks about it a lot. (laughs) Not as much these days, but he definitely... Is the person who purchased for me, uh, and immigrants get the job done Hamilton shirt. Nice. So, uh, he's also talked a lot about how he and his young son who also loves it. Listen to the, to the soundtrack a lot and listen, listen to it on audio. Mm-hmm. It's part of their regular rotation as you just as, like if they were listening to any music in the car or whatever. And Jason's also a huge hip hop fan and him and I really, um, sort of have have connected over that over, over the years of our friendship now. So, you know, it, it coming from, from that source, I thought, okay, this is something that's probably pretty great and I should get to it at some point, but I did, he begged me to listen to it. And I said, no, I, I want to have no exposure to it whatsoever until I actually get the full experience of watching right. it. And back then I was thinking, you know, we, we were going to see it. I was going to see it at some point in person in a the theater that almost happened, happened at one point we were looking at tickets. Um, and then I decided now that's not a priority at this point. It, it l- sounds cool. You know, it's kind of expensive, but not a priority. I'll watch it when I'm sure it becomes more accessible to everyone. And it did, uh, recently on Disney plus the movie version And so I thought, okay, I'm finally going to get to see it and really experience it as best as I can. Also, once, once the original cast stopped performing it, I thought, oh, I really (laughs) want to see it. I, if I was going to watch it, I would have, that's how I would have wanted to watch it.
0: Mm -hmm. So even
1: seeing it in person, you know, no, no, nothing against the new actors or new performers, but I just thought, oh, but that was a specific thing. That was a time and place and a thing with those performers. Right. Right. And so I I was really happy to hear that the movie was coming out so that I could watch it in that way, which kind of doesn't exist anymore. It was interesting to see, to recognize actors and actresses that I recognize from other television shows and movies now that I didn't realize were actually in in the original performance of Hamilton. Right. So I'm like, oh, that dude. Oh, he's from, oh, okay. You know, like that sort of thing. I'm going to be critical of this show. Please do. Okay. <laughs> One of the interesting things that happened over the course of time where I first heard about Hamilton and wanted to see it and then decided I was going to put it off until it was more accessible is critiques. I started to come across more and more of a uh, uh, critical reviews of Hamilton from, from voices that I trust from people of color, activists, people that are, that are Social critics with the with the lens, with the political lens that that I share, right, and that was extremely interesting. I am not somebody. I I totally understand the reaction from people um, where something that you love is called out for being problematic, right. mm-hmm. and the defensiveness that happens. I totally understand that. Hundred percent, I get it. I am somebody that actually becomes very excited when something that i love is is called out because it for me i feel like it offers me a a new experience a new way of engaging with that thing that i love definitely and i feel like it just it's like um what i hear about and you can you can speak to this it's what i hear about what's it called that kind of theater that is spontaneous. What's it, what's what improv. improv. Thank you. You say yes. Mm-hmm. Why do you say yes in improv? Why, why not say no, Joe? Because if you say no, you stop the forward momentum of the scene. Exactly. And saying yes does the opposite. Right. And I feel like when it comes to learning and when it comes to being uh, a more understanding and, and developing a more a critical lens and, and developing awareness, Saying yes does the same thing and saying no does the same thing as, as for improv.
0: I think that's such a great analogy. I've never thought of it that way, but you're
1: absolutely right. If you, if you say no, your learning stops. Yeah. If you say yes, even if it's not true, whatever, even if it's bullshit in the end, if you say yes, you are now able to move forward with that theory or hypothesis and learn something new. So if someone says, this is problematic, and you say, no, it isn't, boom, you're done. Right. You could be right, but guess what? No learning is happening there. No awareness, no critical understanding is even possible. But if you say yes, even if in the end you realize, oh, no, that was bullshit, guess what? You've done the work. Right. And so I love it <laughs> when <with> something <laughs> that I like or that I love is called out because I then I go, oh, shit, here's a blind spot. That I may not have, that I may have. Mm-hmm. And I wanna explore that and see. And I can still love something and say it's pro- problematic. Listen, one of my top favorite movies, not just horror movies, but ho- movies of all time is Rosemary's Baby. Okay. You know, I mean, talk about trying to separate the art from the artist. I'm no, not no. a fan of Roman Polanski. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love Rosemary's baby and and I struggled. And there was a time where I stopped watching that movie. And I just said, I just, I can't do it. And it was a process. And eventually through conversation and whatnot, and and this could change, but where I am now is, you know what? I can appreciate the story and the artwork and and choose not to support Polanski monetarily or whatever in, you know, in terms of platform in other ways. And, you know, I already Mm -hmm. own this DVD or whatnot. Um, I've seen it already. I'm gonna pop it on, and I'm gonna watch it. You know what I mean? Right. So- well, we've
0: had an episode, I think, on that. Like, when yes. do you when do you cut out a, a fandom because it just no longer, uh, you know, there's something about it that no longer fits with your morals or your views or whatever. And and I think, you know, it's important that all of us do it. I mean, I'm doing it right now with J.K. Rowling because right. I, I see where she's coming from. I see her point as far as the way she sees it. But I completely disagree with her. Right. And and so it's, you know, I think it's OK for me to take a break from being a, a
1: Harry Potter fan for a while. Right. Right. And and it's a process. It's a journey. Mm-hmm. It, it not, it's not set in stone necessarily. Right. Right. So. I subscribe to a lot of people on Instagram and Twitter that are very radical voices. And guess what? I don't agree with all of them, but I think it's super important to listen to those voices and to have them be part of my normal daily intake because they will provide a a critical analysis that I think otherwise my brain probably wouldn't just get to. So I feel like I learn a lot. And there are times where I see something and I go, Oh, that's bullshit. Like, okay, you took that too far. Do I right. do I jump in and pipe in and say that? Hell no. No way. No one is asking for my fucking opinion on that. Right. <laughs> I'm choosing to subscribe to their feed, right? I'm taking right. that in. I may disagree and look away. And sometimes I'm I actually fairly often I'm made uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But that's the point. That's kind of why I'm I'm reading these things, right? So Um, with Hamilton, it, you know, getting back to Hamilton, it was about how this is, this is trash. You know, this, this whole take is trash. Um, Lin-Manuel is trash, you know? And, and these are, I mean, I'm using the, the same, uh, um, the same language that, that I see it it kind of, it's the way that, that these topics are sort of approached, for, you know, for people that are, that are not familiar, not are not part of these conversations online. And then they go, you know, they, they go on to explain why they think this and, and where they're coming from. And a lot of times it's people that are not academics, you know, that they, they may be grassroots organizers. They may just be a voice, just a critical voice on Twitter. Just anyone can just go on and say what they want. And if it gets enough attention, enough of people agree or disagree, it's going to get retweeted. It's going to show up on your feed. Right I'm fine with that. I think that's you know one of the things that you and I, Joe talk about is the idea that more voices now because of social media, more voices are being heard. doesn't mean they're all correct or all you know or <laughs> um, <We're> all positive <laughs> right, right. but if you're willing to kind of wade into this mess of voices, this cacophony and sort of weed out you know voices that you want to hear or whatnot that you don't want to hear, there's a lot to be gained there and so. What I saw talked about in regards to Hamilton is how it's a very colonialist take on this story. I will say for, for my perspective, because you can go out and, and you, can, you can seek out these conversations. So I want to represent someone else's take. Right, I I want to give my feelings on this. This I want to call it a movie, but it's actually a, fi- a it's a it's a filming of a show or of a performance. What what would you call it? A show?
0: Yeah, no, it's it's a, a filming of a live performance, and I wish that they would do more of that or that they would release more of that because I feel one of my problems with theater, especially with uh, American theater, is that it is not as accessible. And yes. so, if you don't have the money to go to Broadway and see it, or even to you know go down to downtown LA, you're not going to see a lot of these shows. And one of my absolute favorite plays is into the woods. And it was because I watched it, a a live recording of it. And it's amazing. But you turn that into a movie by Disney. And it's like, Oh, my God, why? Why did you do this? (laughs) Because, you know, the the specialness of the story is the fact that they've created this fantasy forest on stage and mm. it moves and it changes and it loses that specialness when you have CGI doing all the work, right? There's, there's something very different about the art forms and they don't translate terribly well. I just spent months working on lame is I can't watch the movie. I watched it once. I can't watch the movie because it's this huge play. It's this huge musical where the voices are supposed to be just sent out and the emotion's supposed to be sent out and you're boxing the actors in a frame. And so a lot of it comes off as being overacted because they're putting out the same emotion. They're putting out the same sound, but it reads completely differently than it would if it was on stage. So you're that's my, that's right. my biggest thing about making movies of plays. I would much rather see live recordings that, and you're never going to be able to catch everything from a live recording. That was one of the things that if you watch a lot of the behind the scenes on the Hamilton um, movie version of the, of the play, they talk about, gee, how do we, there's so much going on. How do we capture that? And how do we work with that in a film
1: type medium?
0: And it, it's very interesting.
1: That's amazing. I hadn't considered that at all. And your are absolutely, I, I 100% agree with you. This is because I, because I was thinking, yeah, I've seen other filmed musicals like Chicago and whatnot. But you're right. That's a movie. Like they, <laughs> that's a movie right. musical. This is a filmed Broadway performance. Can you imagine if they had built sets for Hamilton like a movie?
0: <laughs> oh, it would be, it would be, it would lose its entire like. And I, I don't doubt that it will happen at some point. Uh-oh. I, I mean, I'm very looking forward to one of my. One heights? of my top five is in the Heights and right. we're bummed that they're getting postponed, but I'm, I'm okay. Cause I want to see it. I want to see that in the theater. Yeah. But if, as much as I know, they're going to do a great job with it. It's not going to have the same impact as, as being seeing performers on stage interact with each other.
1: And your point about overacting makes sense because if, if you're filming the, this movie or if you're filming this performance, you in a more grounded reality, then it is going to feel like overacting versus Mm -hmm. including the stage. It kind of sets it in a completely different context. Not that movie reality is reality. It's heightened reality, but still it's a, it's a different level of heightened reality than actually showing the stage. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, so I thought I, first of all, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Hamilton. It's. I think it is extremely well written, and I think it, it was, in my opinion, it was extremely well performed, and it was amazing. It moved me a couple of times. There were a couple of scenes that really moved me, and I really enjoyed the just just the talent on display in terms of the the wordplay. The writing was just fantastic. I, I'm a huge hip hop fan, so I liked that part. I was surprised, Joe, at and of course this i think this is going to speak to other you know uh, the kind of the critical part that that I want to talk about in a bit but the way people reacted to the hip hop element in a in a broadway musical mm-hmm. made it seem to me like if that was the entire show right like they made such a big deal about it that i thought the entire thing was rap And when I watched it, I was like, oh, no, there's singing. There's like there's there's straight more straightforward, like Broadway, you know, singing performances. There's some hip hop in there, but it's not, you know, it's used. It's used as an element, you know, in in storytelling. But but I thought it was wall to wall hip hop, the way people were making it seem like, oh, my God, a hip hop Broadway musical, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And I guess that to me, that just speaks to the level of of uh exposure that people lack to hip hop that normally watch Broadway musicals probably well and it's because it's not but it's not the first.
0: I mean In the Heights has a lot of rap. It's not as it's not as intense. I mean there's some I don't know how they make their mouth produce that many words. There was (laughs) a there's a video that I'm gonna try and get Matt to say because it's Hamilton is Matt's absolute favorite musical. And so he did a lot of like digging, you know, he geeked out about it, which is exciting for me, but he he showed me this video where they were talking about how, how many words per minute people <laughs> are saying on stage. And that if it was the pace of a regular musical and you were putting out the, the average musicals words per minute, it would be like a four to six hour long show. <laughs> <clears throat>
1: That's great. Yeah, have Matt send that to me, and then I'm going to send him a Busta Rhymes album. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's a lot of factors at play here. Again, I want to reiterate that I was extremely impressed by the artistry on display. I think it was well-written, well-performed, a good story. It moved me, definitely. And uh, I can see why people are such huge fans of Hamilton. But there's so much going on. There is so much more at play here than I think most mainstream fans of Hamilton are are not is not registering with them. Right. Uh, definitely, it has to do with what you spoke to in terms of the audience of Broadway musicals and how it is because of the scarcity of of um, accessibility and, and resources that people have to to watch these shows. It becomes an elitist thing it becomes a you know a class issue where this is being made for a particular audience probably wealthy probably liberal probably white and that is the that is now that becomes the the patronage right and that becomes the the um the response or the acceptance comes from that very specific cross section not mm-hmm. to say that's that's all, but that you know, primarily that is where the acceptance and the, and the fandom is coming from, that that makes this you know a hit, a crossover hit or whatnot. The, what I enjoyed about the perspectives that were talking about Hamilton after the fact that I saw on on social media was they were bringing in things like you know you're talking about telling this this story about the, the forming of this country. And I think it's a brilliant, uh, it's one of those things where it's like a great idea in, in, in a practical sense, Mm -hmm. but maybe not in concept. Like, like if you really, you know, expand the lens of what's happening here and you bring uh, a decolonial, decolonial lens into it and you bring a race lens into it and you bring a, a cultural lens, maybe it's not the best idea. Right? And, right. and I'm trying to, I was trying to think of other examples of this. I've definitely had a, you know, a couple of um, times where I hit on something, not to say that I'm anywhere near, you know, <laughs> Lin-Manuel or anything like that. But there's definitely been like, as an artist a couple of times where I go, oh, what if, oh, and then I go, oh, wait, that's problematic. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, that, you know, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but you know what, now that I think about it, mm, probably not. Right. Somebody, okay, I'll give an example. Oh, uh, this, is, this is bad. But <laughs> um, I was, years ago, I was working with screenwriters. This is while I was doing comics and storyboarding as a freelance illustrator. And I was working with a couple of screenwriters, one of which had graduated from UCLA. Uh, and they were working on a script that they were trying to get sold. And at the time I was working on a project of my own. And I brought in one of the writers to, to work with me on my project because I was, I was having trouble cracking it. And I was trying to write a werewolf story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I said, you know, this is the kind of story I want to tell. And I want to set it in a, in a different time period than modern. But I have a couple of ideas and I'm just having a hard time choosing which which time period to set this werewolf story in. It was kind of like a coming of age werewolf story. And um, shout out to Team Wolf. And uh, this writer that I was working with, they said they were not... They were white, by the way. <laughs> this, writer, uh-huh. this writer said, well, you want to set it in this time period or this time period. Um, those seem kind of like, how did they put it? Those seem kind of like random choices. Mm-hmm. You are from Boyle Heights. You are from East LA. Why don't you connect it, the story more to your experience? Which I, I think that's a valid you know, direction. Write mm-hmm. right what you know they their suggestion i could still i didn't st- i didn't have to set it in modern times their suggestion was to set this werewolf story during the zoot suit riots oh wow In LA, and at first i thought "Ooh, okay let's play with that idea and they said you could set it during the zoot suit riots you can tie this werewolf story to that you can you can talk about what sparked the zoot suit, right. And for people that don't know the zoot suit riots, I mean, that's, that was a, 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 huge, uh, race riot. I mean, it was, it was, mm-hmm, it, was mm-hmm. it was young Latinos and, and, uh, Latinx Latinas, Latinx people that, that were being attacked for the style that they chose in order to sort of, um, um, give their, their their voice, their, their frustration and their experience and the discrimination that they were feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. At that time we were in a war and there was rationing going on. And one of the things that was rationed was cloth and people were not, you know, allowed to, or, or were really, um, admonished for using more than their share. And at that time, because of racial discrimination that has always been present and, People wanting to speak out against that, young Latinos wanting to speak speak out against that, they decided, you know what, I'm a big F you <laughs> to this government and and this war that is still is using us as soldiers, but still not valuing us as a people and as a culture and still discriminating against us. We're going to make our suits with extra cloth and extra fabric. we're going to flaunt your rations and we're going to make our zoot suits as large and as flamboyant as possible to flaunt the fact that we are using more than our fair share because we're not getting our fair share in other ways. Right. And you know, they, they were called nasty things for it. And uh, eventually a bunch of soldiers that were on shore leave in LA went out and as a mob and started to attack and brutally, you know, beat and, and rape Latinos. Over it, And so this is a Zoot Suit Riots. And so I'm thinking like, okay, that's interesting. And then very shortly after that, I thought, maybe not, maybe, <laughs> maybe <laughs> not turn this into a werewolf story because that is just not, it's just not a good idea. It's extremely problematic. This, like the Zoot Suit Riots matter more than that. They're, it's too it's meaningful thing. You know what it is, Joe? You know what it is? It's Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Yeah. That it's turning the Underground Railroad into a werewolf vampire story. Just no, just don't, don't listen. I love genre make filmmaking and storytelling, but let's just how about let's not do that to this, right? right? Like there's some things just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, and I honestly I thought about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter as I was watching Hamilton. Because I thought, okay, it's it's an amazing idea on the surface to say, you know, the 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 colonists are immigrants to this land. First of all, they're not; they're not immigrants. They're colonists. They're they're colonizers. You know, it's yeah, it's a yeah. difference there. That's a huge difference. But taking using hip hop as this new art form, as this new way of of, of speaking, and using it. In you know, uh, um, in that context where where the old world right King King George right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is is performing in the you know kind of the more traditional Broadway musical type of performing right? Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: No, absolutely. That's the, and that's kind of the whole point. It, it, exactly. It, it's supposed to be a love song between an abusive uh, lover and their their
1: ex right and so you so so you have the 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 colonialists i guess um you know the 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 founding fathers uh quote unquote of this country as the new faction as the new hip idea right which Mm -hmm, is mm hip-hop and so that's kind of the the metaphor here at play which on the surface dude like brilliant like what a great idea oh my god like there's so much to play with there and and to his credit, <laughs> he, Lin- Lin-Manuel does really explore this. I mean, like you said, there's so much there, right? He, I mean, mm-hmm. talk about, he, he uses different eras of hip hop style of rapping style for different characters. And, yeah. you, and and I mean, he really exhausts this idea, which is a great, a great thing to do if you're going to go with this idea where I was de- apart from my enjoyment, where I was deeply offended. in in terms of the problematic aspects is, you know, when you think about how appropriation happens, you know, appropriation is where we, we hate the people, but we love their culture Mm -hmm. and we want to use their culture, you know, for our benefit and, and, and for our to, 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 you know, for, for our successes or whatever, but we are still discriminated against the actual people that created that culture. And when you think about where hip hop comes from, and you think about how it was created by black people and other people of color, uh, that were, you know, hip hop wasn't celebrated when it first came out, you know, it was looked down upon. It was, it was seen as, you know, trash. It was seen as not an art form, right. Just like, the blues, just like rock and roll, just like rhythm and blues, just like you know, um, jazz—all of all of these different musical art forms that have been created by Black people in this country for as long as they've been here. Um, and and what happens is you you know it's developed a cultural cachet, right? Mm Hip-hop is seen as cool. Hip-hop is for years now has been described as the new rock and roll. It's been, you know, this is now the the dominant culture. And now you see celebrity culture trying, you know, non-black people trying to assume blackness in different ways, because that's what's hip and that's what's cool. And that's what's acceptable. Meanwhile, black people are still heavily discriminated against. Right. And so that's a problem. And, and we see. Rich people, we see, um, people that are, that are, that have more resources and, and, you know, live, exist in a higher class starting to sort of, you know, uh, affect these, these, or, or, um, perform these, these affectations and these, these cultural signals that are not theirs, that are not of their culture in order to seem cool mm-hmm. to me, the ultimate appropriation, the ultimate rebranding is to rebrand the founding fathers as people of color, <laughs> like right. people that were slave owners, people that said, you know, all men are created equal, but not really. Right. The ultimate, to me, the ultimate liberal kind of fantasy here is to take that cultural cachet and apply it to George Washington, Hamilton, You know, um, um, Jefferson and all of these people, and and to me, honestly, I was like, of course, rich white liberals love this. Like, of course they do. This is like the ultimate, like, yes, like it's the ultimate appropriation. It's the ultimate rebranding of of the art forms that have been created over years of struggle and, and not being accepted and fighting and, and against all odds, you know, actually becoming successful and celebrated, you know, like it's just, mm-hmm. it's to me, it's such a, such a problematic thing to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I totally, I totally get it. And I, and I, I mean, even when I, well, while I was watching it, I was just kind of like, if you took any of these people, the like the real people that they're portraying, and moved them into 2020, and had them watch this. Like having people of color portray them on stage. What kind of reactions? Like, th- I, I was just sitting there. Like, what? What would they even think about this? You know, it. it, it it's such a it's such a mind boggling concept. I, I do. I think I understand what Lin Manuel Miranda was trying to do yes and i think he was trying to knowing knowing the audience he's gonna have and knowing the the group that he is going to be performing for i think he very much was trying to get people to be able to make comparison and it's a flawed comparison but i would argue that it does bring attention to people who might not otherwise understand what problems are there it it's little highlights is it a problematic way of doing it yes do i think that the the goals behind it were meant to be positive
1: yeah oh yeah 100% absolutely and i agree with you absolutely and i think that what this really highlights for me is who is this for? And I think about that when I make art, who is my art for? Who is my mm-hmm. intended audience? That doesn't mean that's going to be my only audience, hopefully, right? <laughs> like that's, you know, that's what happens with a crossover. It's kind of what a crossover is. Right. But who is this being made for? And I think there, there needs to be a, an acknowledgement of who this is for, I don't know that if you had asked Lin Manuel when he was making this, if he would have said, "Oh, this is for rich white liberal theater goers." I don't think he would have said that. But See, I think you- he, I
0: think he, I think he might have because, and I, I don't know, I haven't okay. looked at interviews and right. everything else, right? But right. he, he very much is an activist, and uh, he very much is like he, he loves his art form, but he also does want to speak out. I mean, I, I love In the Heights because it is such a I feel, and again, I'm coming from, from a completely different perspective, but for me, it seems like a very authentic telling of a people's story that doesn't get told very often. And I think right. that's what he tries to do is tell stories of pe- for on behalf of people whose stories don't get told.
1: Right, right. And I think this is something that is a a, a problem for people of color that – are, I don't wanna say breaking barriers, but that are, are moving, uh, gain access to circles that people of color otherwise don't traditionally have access to. Mm-hmm. And when we make things and we create things with our lens that is not necessarily shared by the audience, the primary audience, I, I feel like there's a, there's, there's a responsibility there that is not easy you know, but it does have to be considered. I mean, it's widely known now why Dave Chappelle stopped making Dave Chappelle show, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He said, you know, he was making this for a certain audience and then at some point he realized that people were not laughing with him, <laughs> you know, that right. people were not really fully... And as an artist, as a creator, it's like, how do you control that? You can't really control that. So what do you do? You know, like where, like, who are you making this for? What happens when people are celebrating your work for the wrong reasons. Yeah. You know, I, have been an artist in the past, you know, working day, of the dead shows uh, that are very, became very popular. But when I first started doing day of the Dead shows, they weren't that popular and I'm making paintings of, um, you know, decorated skulls or whatnot. And I'm selling them to people because I'm trying to pay rent. And I'm glad that people love my artwork. And there's definitely been times where I've been posted up, you know, at a museum show, uh, and selling, you know, paintings and people come over <laughs> and are appreciating my work and are wanting to buy it. And they're going, oh, this will look, they're not Latino. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they're going, oh, this will look great in the bathroom because it matches our, you know, and we'll spice it up with a little bit of cult and cultural flair. And I'm just going, oh, God, like. Do I really want this person to buy my painting at this point? What do I do? Do do I decide to only sell to certain people? Like what? You know what I mean? It's it's a conundrum. It's 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 tricky, and I guess on one level, it's like I'm glad there's an appreciation happening, but not really. If it's if it's a you know it's it's not really an appreciation. It's more of a exploitation. You know what I mean? It's more Mm -hmm. of a um Mm -hmm. not exploitation. It's a fetishization. You know. And so that's, man, that it's tricky to, th- that's a spectrum that's, and, and I think it's different to different artists and different people. So I just, again, this is where I just love having this, this point of view kind of being exposed to it and, and, and just giving me a different way. You know, it did, to be honest, to be quite honest, this thinking about these things did not take away from my viewing and enjoyment of Hamilton. And if anything, it gave me more to think about. It actually made it a deeper experience for me. Right. Well, you can't like it's it's
0: it's like you said at the beginning. You stop the conversation when you say no. And what we I mean, think of all the all the movies we've reviewed, all the all the different pieces of geekiness that we've delved into you and i have a very hard time of <laughs> delving into it without thinking about what its cultural impact is mm. and that's part of the enjoyment that we get out of it it's also part of the enjoyment that we get out of it to be able to like predict what's next predict yeah. how how this affects certain other things and i think there's nothing wrong with that because that's a little bit of our geekiness is it everybody's geekiness no but, right. you know, if you, if you listen to, if you've been listening to our show long enough, you kind of know what you're getting.
1: <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> That's a good point. Thank you for that reminder to, to, to me and people as well. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, I couldn't wait to talk to you about this because I know that you're way more knowledgeable of the theater scene and industry than I am. And you've been talking about Hamilton for a while and it is just great to talk about some like i have certain blind spots and i always want to talk to someone who's more knowledgeable about it because i know that i'm going to learn something um in the heights is is quickly becoming something see now again this does it for now everyone reacts differently and this is a conversation that didn't doesn't make me go oh you know what i want nothing to do with le Manuel anymore and i totally understand that people feel that way that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. for me, it goes, oh, I want to delve into more of his work and see what, you know, get a, get a, get a, uh, uh, develop my understanding of his voice. Right. And so now after watching Hamilton in the Heights, actually shot up to, you know, the top of things that I want to, to, to see and experience to again, sort of do some more research and see like, where's lin Wall coming from? Cause I've heard both things. I've heard, Oh, he's an activist. He cares about these issues. I've also heard, you know, he's, he's a, a colorism is also an issue and he's a light skinned Puerto Rican male. And, you know, he may have the, the right, uh, um, he may have the right intentions, but you know, there's, there's, there's problematic things with colorism going on as well. That's something that I think about a lot because I am a, a cis, hetero, Mexican male, I know where we fuck up. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I've sought out critiques of me, you know, of, of my particular corner of experience so that I can go, oh, okay, you know, yes, I have made that mistake or I've made those mistakes or, oh my God, I didn't realize that I was making those mistakes or whatever. So right. there's a lot to delve into if you're interested in these in these lenses and these critical takes on, on these things. I mean, to me, it's what it's all about. So, but now I'm like, oh, well, obviously he's fucking talented as fuck. Like no one needs to, you know, sort of, uh, uh underline that at this point, even though I no, am, no. uh, he's an amazing talent. And I agree with you that he is, you know, he, he is trying to do good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's also a thing where this could just be another case where we're moving so fast. As a society, in our, in or well, some of us, in our, in our understanding, <laughs> in our understanding of these issues, some of us are just like you know, fucking feet planted in one spot forever and not moving. But <laughs> some of us are are that are part of these evolving conversations, you know, and, and levels of understanding around race and ethnicity and culture and appropriation and and that sort of thing. The, the landscape is evolving so quickly. The conversations are evolving so quickly by the time you have an idea and make something and put it out, it might already be a couple steps behind where the conversation, the cutting edge conversation of this stuff is happening critically.
0: Right. And I think that's a little bit of what is going on here. Oh, yeah. I think when it came out, it wasn't as problem. It, it didn't appear as problematic because it was trying to accomplish what we weren't at that step yet.
1: Well, when we say we, I think that I, that's tricky because I, I think that it's hap- it could be happening now because the conversation, but it also could be happening because these conversations are not new, but the voices that have been having these conversations haven't been part of the mainstream, haven't been allowed to be part of the mainstream the way they are now. And there's accessibility. Who knows, Joe, maybe when it first came out, if it was more accessible, to these voices that are not part of the, you know, the theater going crowd that has the resources to see it. Maybe these conversations would have happened earlier.
0: Oh, I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that they would have. I feel when I say we, I mean like society as a whole. Yeah. Like, um, Yeah, just hadn't, we weren't at that step yet. So like I said, the, the audience that he's talking to, I think for a lot of people was a, Oh, I didn't think of it in this, pre- oh, it's very interesting, you know, that there, there is so much diversity in the cast and they're not playing traditional roles and they are, you know, we're, we're looking at immigrants portraying immigrants, but not in the same fashion. And so I think that there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of stuff that he was trying to get out there. I think we've, we've passed that need point. Yes. Like the people who are watching it and getting that are now further along
1: and the voices that are dissenting are like, well, thanks for catching up. Yes, told and you know what? <laughs> it feels shitty to be told thanks for catching up and they also have every right to be like thanks for catching up. Oh yeah, up. absolutely.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I and I mean, I we we talked about when I was doing in the Heights, we we talked about and I talked about with my cast. Okay. And I talked I talked about it with people before before we even picked it as a show, do I, as a white guy, have any right to direct the story that is not mine? And what I kind of decided was I am facilitating my students who do relate with this story right. to to tell their the story for them. And so I put a lot of the control in their hands, and I was educated. And honestly, I, I was I was educated when we were doing "Bring It On" because I had somebody explain to me that you know we were talking about ghetto and and she was saying, you know, no, it's not ghetto, it's the hood. There's a difference and this is why. And I was educated and I said, Ooh. "All right, you, you need to be you need to be my assistant director because you have a perspective that I don't have and don't know." And so, yes, please come make sure I am not making mistakes that
1: I should know better, you know. Right. Right. And and see that you said, yes, (laughs) Yes. right. You didn't say no, you know, I'm, I'm in charge or that makes me uncomfortable. And I'm just, you know what I mean? You, you said, Oh yeah. Okay. You know, let, let's go with that. Like, let let me tell me more. This is where, this is the path towards more greater understanding. Mm
0: -hmm. And I I think one of the, one of the things that people, I, I think a lot of people assume that, Lin-Manuel Miranda just jumped in and did what he thought was cool and insightful and, and, you know, missed the missed, maybe all these different points that are now being brought into the conversation. But having been a director or being a director, looking at what he accomplished with this play, with this musical, those conversations were going on. Uh, they they have interviews with the the actor who played George Washington and how he could resolve the idea that he was playing a slave owner. Mm. And it so you can't tell me that there weren't yeah. major conversations going on in those rehearsals about what they're saying and how they're saying it and maybe they made the wrong decisions, maybe they said you know, we're going to keep going with this, even though, you know, not realizing that other perspectives were going to be highly offended by it. Yeah. But I really do believe that those conversations were being had because of the diversity of the cast, because of the, the direction they were trying to take it. So it's just a very fascinating way of, of looking at, art and how we put it together. Cause I can sit here and talk about all the different theatrical amazingness that is Hamilton. It accomplishes so many things. The, the symbolism that's used in, in the play is remarkable. Yeah. It, as a director, you want to be able to direct in a way where you walk out and somebody says, well, you know, this represented that and people are like really and they have those conversations and you yeah. can do that with Hamilton so I would love to just go into those and just deep dive into that kind of stuff yeah but yeah but there is a bigger conversation going on with it and yeah and I think as long as it stays a conversation I think it's good I think as soon as as people start putting on the brakes on both sides because I I, I do think people, can say something is problematic and not that's, it's it altogether
1: throw it in the dumpster. Yeah. Right. I agree. I agree. And I, I understand that for some people, that larger conversation is a non-starter once, once mm-hmm. that, and you know what, I fully respect that point of view oh, absolutely, and, and that experience. And for me that larger conversation has to be acknowledged In order for the deep dive to happen, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I want to, I want to do both, you know, I (laughs) want to dive for sure, but the larger conversation has to be acknowledged. And I think when it isn't, that's when I think the, the, the door to is open for the really problematic stuff to go unchecked and to just sort of continue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Daveed Diggs is somebody that I thought about a lot while I was watching Hamilton because um, I mean I'm just a fan of him and his work in his hip hop duo The Clipping and uh, in, in his other roles that he's done. I mean David made a movie called Blind Spotting. <laughs> so talk about blind spots. Right. He literally made a movie called Blind Spotting, um, that you know is about race and, and culture and and how they intersect and you know where the divisions are, whatnot for people and their experiences. Uh, it's a cool movie. Uh check it out if you haven't. But you're right, Joe. You have to know that these conversations are going on, and being familiar with more of David's work, I kept thinking about that while I was watching Hamilton and grappling with the larger conversation as I was enjoying this this show and um, being moved to tears in a couple places, and and thinking about what this cast, you know, the experiences that they're bringing to it and informing you know, these roles with and thinking about David and going, okay, there was, there's obviously something, there was obviously something worthwhile here for, for him to want to be a part of this and to elevate it the way he, he did with his performance and his, his uh, what's the word I'm looking for, whatever with his performance contribution. contribution thank you. Um, so yeah, that now, and I want to, I would love to deep dive into those conversations and those interviews or whatever, if they exist, you know, where, where the, um, the cast is, is talking about this stuff and Lin-Manuel is talking about this stuff. I just think it's super important to be aware of the logic conversation when it comes to your, uh, appreciation for what Hamilton does accomplish. Cause it is amazing. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's it's (laughs) phenomenal. It's, it's again, there's a lot there and I, from from the first time I saw it, I left going, "That is amazing." I probably still won't want listen to the the soundtrack over and over again. There's something that I just don't connect with on it, but I definitely appreciate how how much artistry has gone into that piece of theater.
1: Have you and watched you watched the movie? Right? Yeah, I watched the I watched the
0: the the thing that came out on Disney Plus on July third. Okay. But I also saw not with this cast, but I saw the same production oh. um
1: on broadway what okay any what can you tell us about the two different experiences i didn't find them
0: too jarringly different obviously you're getting a different experience when you're there live with people but you know your eye is that is the camera at that point and so what you're looking at is what you want to look at not what the director wants you to look at Okay. And I think that they did a very good job of making sure that you were getting the fullness of the experience, even if you couldn't be in
1: control of the lens. Yeah, I didn't even notice the close-ups when they were happening when I was watching the movie.
0: Right. Well, you know, it's it's recorded over three mm-hmm sessions like there's two live performances and then anything that's a close-up was
1: done on a separate Mm -hmm. performance right and uh i just meant in terms of i'm just meant in terms of editing and my Mm -hmm. viewing experience i just oh it didn't
0: it didn't trigger in your you didn't distract you right yeah so so, i mean that that was the big thing is you don't you know I watch, I watch theater a lot differently than other people do because <laughs> I'll sit there and I'll get distracted by a costume <laughs> choice. I'll get distracted by a set piece. I mean, cause I definitely looked at the, at the set and I'm like, Hmm, there's some interesting choices going on here. What are they going to do to make these choices? Relative, uh, you know, actually work with the, with the, the production. There was a lot of I have a problem. My ear does not catch up with the the music quick enough. <laughs> and I, I think it's just like when you listen to Shakespeare. It actually takes you 20 minutes for your brain to start <laughs> being able to get into the cadence of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And and I think for me that was the same thing. So I get the beginning, but I lose a lot of the nuance. And I think it was a little easier to do that live than it was to do it on television because you're kind of in that focused mood where, you know, I'm watching it with Matt and his parents and we've got snacks and, you know, there's just a lot of other distractions. So I think those are the kind of things that make the, the whole
1: experience a lot different. Mm. Um, is the spinning stage thing normal?
0: Normal for what? I mean, yes, yes, that's what they did in the production
1: for Broadway musicals for Broadway shows. There's a lot of shows that use it. Um, there's, I mean, it was like, it was like a donut, right? Like the center didn't spin, but like the outer ring spun or sometimes the center did spin.
0: Yeah, no, there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways you can set up stages that are that technically advanced. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly couldn't do that in my high school, but there are there are definitely a lot of shows that utilize turntables in one way or another. In, into the Woods, the original production had a kind of like a treadmill that ran across the front of the stage so that they could be walking and the floor would be going in the opposite direction so that they could look like they were traveling through oh a forest, but they weren't actually moving anywhere on stage. They were staying steady in the center. And I mean, that's again, when I talk about into the woods versus the movie, that's the stuff you don't, you know, that's the experience you don't get with the movies, right? Because it's not on a stage where you have to come up with, how are we going to make this person look like they're moving through a forest without having them walk all over the stage
1: and get people confused and, and uncomfortable. Another classic case of just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> exactly. I would exactly. love to see more musicals film, more more Broadway shows filmed this way.
0: They they need to, and I here here's the secret: not to this extent, but most shows on Broadway are filmed because they archive them. Mm. There it really wouldn't take a lot for people to just release mm. this stuff on streaming services and everything and make it more accessible. And there are like, you can go to broadway.com and subscribe to that. And it's a little less expensive and you get their full um, complement of, of performances, Mm. but it's still not as extensive as
1: Broadway is. Yeah. Yeah. That would be so popular if they were to go ahead and do that. Mm -hmm. I, I found myself besides the storytelling I, and wordplay and whatnot. I found myself drawn to the choreography, and and to the costumes.
0: Well, let's let's talk about the choreography for a second because <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because I again I did into the I, I did in the heights, and I had an amazing student choreographer, Savannah, who was, she worked so hard, because when Lynn Manuel Miranda does a show. Whatever choreographer he uses, they they not no two characters are doing the same thing unless there's a point to be made. Like you'll notice in Hamilton when they all start syncing up, there's mm-hmm. something going on. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, everybody else is doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. When we did bring it on, where everybody's a cheerleader, everybody's doing the same thing. So still a very hard show to choreograph, but for different reasons, you know, my choreograph- choreographer for that was doing the, the, you know, having to do all the, the cheerleading stuff, but she could sit the entire cast and say, you block of people do this, right? you block of people do that. And you can't do that with in the Heights or Hamilton because everybody's doing something different because everybody else is telling a story especially in uh, in the heights every we like my my cast had to come up with stories of their own to tell when they were not focused on on stage so we had like rivalries between two women over a man and we had friendships develop and then break up and then re- yeah. realign and none of it was scripted all of it was Wow. Actor interpretation. And the audience might catch little glimpses of it. But the important reason for doing that is that you're trying to create a world that people believe. And so if people aren't, I mean, people don't just stand there and wait for their cue in real life. Like Mm -hmm. that just doesn't happen. So you have to make it, you have to have people have motivation for why they're moving and why they're, they're doing what they're doing. And so when you get to something like Hamilton, where there's no two people doing the same thing, but every move was thought about and done for a reason. Yeah. And it wasn't just because it looks good. Like there was a reason. And I'm sure conversations were had about how person A had a character and that character carried through. Mm -hmm. We just don't, we don't see it because we weren't in on that conversation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, because of the editing, I wasn't always able to see when certain characters would set up movements that were about to happen. But when I did catch that, it was pretty awesome to see. You <laughs> notice like, oh, this person's positioning themselves for this. And then, you know, it, it would lead into the next scene or whatnot. Uh, or like you said, just storytelling purely through performance as opposed to, you know, any yeah. dialogue was pretty amazing to see. I loved <laughs> the way they use that spinning uh, uh, turntable stage, which is why I brought it up because there were time It was just used in so many different ways. And so many vid- ways.
0: The v- video that I'm going to try and link to... Um, and Hopefully Matt will send it to me and he'll be able to find it again. It talks about how the turntable goes counterclockwise when everybody's going with the flow, but when somebody is resisting whatever's going on, it goes the other direction. <laughs> That's so cool. And then... Uh, Hamilton moves in arcs like he doesn't, he never, he never walks in a straight line because a straight line means that there's no other possibilities Mm. where he's always keeping his options open where Aaron Burr always moves in straight lines.
1: Oh, interesting. Like
0: like that's the level of detail and symbolism that that play has. It's, it's incredible. And you know, it is a major, major exciting thing for somebody like me, because you you as a director just hope that you can just get a little glimmer of that kind of symbolism. And when you get that, especially when you're working with high school students, when you sit there and go, this symbolizes that. And so I want you to just do this when you're feeling that. And their mind's blown because they're like, oh, you can do this kind of stuff on stage? <laughs> like, it's so gratifying as a teacher. And to see it just like there are very few people in this world that can get to that level of nuance.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's why it's such an amazing thing to be able to watch.
1: Another thing that surprised me, because again, I'm I'm not familiar with that many uh, Broadway shows at all. Um, Is it common to use the same actors to play different roles? It depends on the play.
0: If you have something like, come from away you have 12 actors and they play something like uh, they they play hundreds of characters because the whole idea is is that it's you know the tripling of the size of the city because of airplanes landing after 9-11 but then there's plays where people are this character and that's the only character they are and so you just don't you don't cross over
1: You, you you stay that character I thought maybe it was like in terms of, I guess I would call it screen time or like performance time, mm-hmm. you know, to make it worth worth an actor's billing, I guess. I don't know. to well, yes a
0: no, because I mean, if you tried to have every character played by their own actor, if a cast of thousands and it's just too expensive to do that.
1: Got it. Got it. For, well, I would think for, Oh, go ahead. It just seemed like, uh, at the beginning, like Lafayette was like a, a major character. Mm-hmm. And then when that character's arc was done, Jefferson came in and was mm-hmm. a major character for the second half. And that would only require one more actor. But I was just wondering, like when you have someone like David playing, you know, in, in your play, do you want to just maximize that that character's ability or that actor's ability? I'm sure
0: that when he was writing it and I don't I haven't seen the the interviews that would back this up but my my theory would be is that the characters that he paired up had some sort of relationship in his mind. Right. Okay. So there was something about Lafayette that crossed over to Jefferson. It could have just been Jefferson's tie with France. Right. But there was something that tied those two characters together and by having the same actor play it, you're getting a through line for those two characters. Got it. It's
1: still a thematic choice is what you're saying.
0: Yeah. It would be a, th- a thematic choice where for, for when I did uh Les Mis, you know, I had 40 kids and those 40 kids had to play every character. <laughs> Les Mis. And there's something like a hundred and. In Les Mis. So, so the, the leads who you're going to see over the course of the entire play, they played that part. Right. Uh, in fact, I had uh, one girl who dies in like the fifth scene and you don't see her again until the end because you don't see the character till the end. Got but it. then I had all these other kids who were playing prostitutes and bar patrons and soldiers <laughs> and and they just had to kind of keep changing and they'd put in a different costume piece or a yeah. scarf or whatever just to show that there was a difference. Yeah,
1: but you know, I had forty kids. <laughs> these are the kids I'm using. When I first realized that was happening in Hamilton, I was like, oh, what? That's weird. And then it just went away. I just like went with it. Totally. <laughs> I thought it was going to bother me. And then it just didn't at all.
0: Because I'm trying to, I forget the name of the character, but the the guy who plays his best friend who dies in the war and then comes back and plays his son.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, that, that was, an, I thought, again, I thought, oh, this is going to bother the hell out of me. And then it didn't at all bother me, which I was really surprised that it didn't bother me. His name's uh, Anthony Ramos.
0: Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he was the original Sonny in In the Heights. Like a lot of a lot of the, the actors are in both plays. Oh, interesting. Original casts. Like he, he does definitely, when he likes working with somebody, he, he enjoys working with them. And he always has the same understudy who always
1: takes over for
0: him when he's done with a run.
1: Got it wow yeah i i'm I'm glad they filmed it with the original cast yeah. i mean clearly you know it was a, a special show um doesn't really I, I i don't know i'm you know i'm obviously new to being a fan of of this um what would you call it medium
0: mm-hmm.
1: but um I would be so happy to be able to watch more of these in my home i, I gotta i'm i'm gonna i'm next time I do a musical I'm, I'm going to quote you on
0: that and get you in in one of my seats because <laughs> didn't I, didn't you, wasn't your first play ever? One of our shows.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was. it was the first time I ever watched a performance of play ever in my life. In, yeah. in,
0: in our little, in our little 20 by 40 foot portable.
1: Yes, exactly. You built a pretty <laughs> crazy set for that too. Which one was it? It was it. It was like a whole thing. That was a backstage. It was we were in a bungalow, and it was like a backstage and everything. But which? Would you remember which show? Oh God, um, I remember the students more than I remember the show. <laughs> um, oh God, what was the show? I know that was the one that Carlos helped you build the set. Uh, he helped me build up most of the sets. Oh jeez. <laughs> okay. I'm guessing it
0: was. Was it? Was it with the two little old ladies?
1: Mm, no. Was
0: it so? I don't know what it would have been. Was it? Oh, was it the murder mystery? Yes. Okay. It was. It was much yes. to do about murder. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes, it was. That's the first play I was ever in, and it was the first full play that I did it. For <laughs> school. Okay. There you go. Um, cool. Well, any- I I will I will continue to send stuff your way and see what you have to say about it. I I love the fact that you're you're excited about about musical theater. Cause it's, it's one of my favorite things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad that I was able to experience Hamilton with um, a couple of different lenses in mind. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I, like, again, I think it really added to my experience of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. This was this is an unexpected, but cool topic. To t- <laughs> to <come up> <laughs> I'm going to, I'm probably going to watch it again now now that we've talked about it and, and see if I noticed some of the things that you've, you've brought up that I didn't notice before.
0: Right. And like I said, when I, when this comes out, the show notes should have a link to the, the video. I think it's like 12, 20 minutes, somewhere in there. And uh, there was a lot of kind of 10 things that will make you appreciate. I think it was 22 things that will make you appreciate Hamilton even more.
1: Wow. I, I was going to watch it again anyway, at some point, just for the King George performance, probably. <laughs> and uh we we
0: love John Groff. He's in so many plays and TV shows. He was on glee. He was in a a short-lived gay series called Looking. He was the star of that. And then he's in Mindhunter. I don't know if you've watched Mindhunter, but we love Mindhunter. And- oh my god. Yeah. He's the main guy in Mindhunter.
1: Oh my god, you just blew my mind. <laughs> Whoa. Holy shit. He is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, Jonathan Groff is John Groff is in a lot of stuff. And he started in Broadway.
1: Oh my God. That I'm right now. My mind is blowing into bits. (laughs) I really like mine Hunter. And I knew like he felt familiar, but I just thought, I don't know. He's been in something else. Right. Holy shit. Oh, another thing, Joe. Uh I mean, we're not publishing today, but today on this day in history, Alexander Hamilton died of wounds inflected with Aaron Burr today on seven
0: (laughs) uh, on the, on the 12th of July. I don't think I realized that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. uh, uh, King George was probably my favorite uh, character in the show. (laughs) It's just handled in such a unique way. Like you
0: can't, it's it's brilliant. It's just the fact that he's seeing this, like you'll be back. This, this whole, whole song about, you know, the jilted lover.
1: it, It just, really just Creep, creepy as fuck <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right man i think we should probably wrap it up we we've not stuck to our hour hour long uh
1: yeah this one's goal, 90, but, this is 90 minutes for sure
0: <laughs> but i i think there are plenty of people geeking out about hamilton right now so i think
1: cool it's okay perfect all right any uh shout outs oh so many people i want to shout out my cousin abel for uh, being around to, to, for me to play video games with when we lived together. He's, he's, he's like a brother to me anyway. Uh, he, is my, he introduced me to Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat and all that back in the day. And then we were roommates and I got to watch him play a lot of Call of Duty. Um, shout out to our game artists at LCAD. uh Gavin Rich, the chair of the game art program is amazing. And I am have massive respect for what they do in that program. And shout out to Jason for talking about Hamilton for so long.
0: Awesome. I'm gonna shout out to all my students because like watching that just got me excited to be, you know, in the classroom directing again. And uh we, we still don't know what we're doing in the fall with COVID. No clue.
1: But right. you know, it'll be it'll be another adventure. Yeah, it seems like the government versus the CDC at this point. Yeah. <laughs> the CDC saying it's not a good idea and the government saying, Go ahead, it'll be fine. <laughs> So awful. God. Anyway, all the music in this episode is by Ben
0: sound and has been being used under creative commons license. You can find more music by Ben sound at BenSound.com. Geek to is a proud member of the geek to geek network. Check out our other geek to geek shows. There's so many of them out there, guys. We cover Disney. We cover K-pop. We cover all sorts of stuff. So just go out there and, and check it out. Uh make sure to join our Reddit community at R forward slash geek geek cast or join us on Slack or Discord where you can chat with us in real time. You can currently find us at geektitude.com as well as on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, most other podcatchers out there. Please leave us a review and spread the word. If you'd like to contact me, you can send me an email at Joe Hogan at GeekTitude.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at GeekTitude or me personally at Epic Grays. Ray, where can we find you?
1: Uh- I am on social media all the time. Way too much. And I am at Ray Vargas 3. It's Ray Vargas and then the number 3. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can also uh, take a look at my artwork at RayVargas3.com.
0: Awesome. Well, it has been another fun conversation with you, sir. So we will have to uh, have to put it off until next week. But until then, remember this week, keep it deep.